Thank you for listening to Embassy City Church's audio podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message and His Word today. For more information on our church, please visit us at embassycity.com. Today, uh, the burden that God gave me is a word that is called surrendering to God's ethos. Surrendering to God's ethos. And the scripture that we're going to read from today is from Judges chapter 6. So if you have your iDevice, your iThis, your iThat, your iPad, your iPro, whatever i you have, or your Bible, please go to Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to be reading in the NLT, and we also have it on the screens for those of you uh, who would like to do that as well. In Judges chapter 6, I'll start off in verse 25. It says that that night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord, your God, here on the hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of other members of his father's household and the people of the town. Early the next morning, as the people of the town began to stir, someone discovered that the altar of Baal had been broken down and the Asherah pole beside it had been cut down. In, in their place, a new altar had been built, and on it were the remains of the bull that had been sacrificed. The, the people said to each other, who did this? And after asking around and making careful, a careful search, they learned that it was Gideon, the son of Joash. Bring out your son, the men of the town demanded of Joash. He might die for destroying the altar of Baal and for cutting down the Asherah pole. But Joash shouted to the mob and that confronted him, Why are you defeat, defending Baal? Will you argue his case? Whoever pleads his case will be put to death by morning. If Baal is truly a god, let him defend himself and destroy the one who broke down his altar. From then on, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, which means let Baal defend himself because he broke down Baal's altar. Soon afterwards, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of, e of the east formed an alliance against Israel, sounds kind of like today, and crossed the Jordan, camping in the valley of Jezreel. Then the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of, Ab clan of Abizar came to him he also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Nephtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Many of you have heard this story before, and you're probably wondering, why did you choose that portion of Scripture? You see, that story continues on several more verses, and there's this grandiose moment where God delivers the people of Israel 
with only 300 men. 300 men. I chose not to deliver that, the rest of that scripture, because we live in a society today where everybody wants things now. Got to have it now. You know, it used to be DSL was the thing, you know, and, and now there's a thing called gigapower. It's a thousand gigabytes of internet speed. We want things now. And I have a daughter, she's amazing, but she flies through Instagram, Insta this, Insta yo that, all that. And it, it, in the moment's notice, she can see profiles of hundreds of people. That's the society we live in. But I chose this scripture because I wanted to hone in on something that I believe is very important. You see, God went to Gideon, one, because his father was an influential person. His father was a man that when he spoke, people would listen. After he spoke here, when, he, when Gideon blew the horn, 32,000 men surrounded Gideon. 32,000 men surrounded Gideon. But it wasn't until Gideon obeyed what God had told him to do that God partnered with him to do the thing that he set out to do. You see, I could go into the grandiose moment and tell you that story, but Gideon won the war. The moment he won the war was when his heart was fully submitted to God. You see, prior to that, the people of Israel had an issue. And the issue was that they could not keep their eyes focused on God. They would put these, these, these idols before them, one called Asherah and another one called Baal. It's ironic that Asherah is a fertility goddess and Baal is this god of success. He's represented by the bull. If you go to Wall Street in New York City, you'll see the big bull on Wall Street that represents, I'm going to bull my way to success. That bull has been around a long, long time. But what's really ironic is that these Israelite women would pray to Asherah to get pregnant. And then after they have their baby, in turn, they would offer up their children as a sacrifice unto Baal. And it was this system that was rinse, wash, repeat. Rinse, rinse wash, repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat. And God wanted nothing to do with that culture. God wanted nothing to do with that idolatry. And so he took his hands off of Israel. And the Bible says that the Midianites came in and they ravaged the Israelites. They took them for all that they had, food, livestock, their, everything that they owned, gold, silver, they took it all. I'm here to tell you today that God has an ethos. The word ethos in the Greek means this. It means character. It means, it means that God has a character that he wants us to submit to. It means the definition is distinguishing character, sentiment, a moral nature, or guiding beliefs of a person, group, or institution. It's actually where we get the word ethics from. God has an ethos 
And the Israelites were not submitted to the God that delivered them from a place called Egypt. They didn't submit and surrender their lives to the God who opened up the Red Sea and allowed them to walk on dry land. And while they were doing that, was holding off their enemy so that they wouldn't get consumed. It's funny how when life gets good, we forget who delivered us in that process. And that's what the Israelites had done. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. We should hear what the Lord has to say to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are. Lord, I recognize today that you are the vine and I am the branch. And without you, I'm nothing. So today, Lord, we surrender our minds, our hearts, our ears to you. Speak life over us. Help us to knock down those things that could easily hinder us from your presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the title of today's message is Surrendering to God's Ethos. You say, why, why do you use the word ethos? Well, well ethos is something that it's, 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 it's an opportunity to build momentum. There's, there's a force that, that comes with an ethos. If you want to shape a culture, it starts with an idea, and then it gets momentum, and then it turns into an ethic that begins to transform a community. And it's just like the seatbelt. Does anybody remember the story of the seatbelt? Long time ago, people did not wear seatbelts. And all the people said, amen. There was a time that that was the case. People didn't wear seatbelts. And there was an idea that if people didn't wear seatbelts, people could actually get hurt or end up in a tragic accident and die. And so this idea became something that was brought to some lobbyists that eventually went to the motor companies and said, we need to do something because we need to keep people safe. That's the character. That's the context. And so they began to get this movement going where people began to be told, you have to wear a seatbelt. And there was this grace period. There was a time where it was okay to kind of not wear it. If you want to wear it, great. If you didn't, that's fine. But, but the police, for a certain grace period, would pull you over and, and give you a, a uh, what do you call that? What? A warning. Sorry. They'd give you a warning. I've gotten lots of those. I should have knew that. They would give you a warning. But then after a certain period of time, it was no longer a warning. They gave you a ticket. And as years went on and on and on and on, I can get in my car when we leave church here today. I have my beautiful wife. I have four amazing kids, Hannah, Michaela, Ruth, and Michael. They are from the ages of 10 or 9 to 14. They are amazing kids. I love them. But the moment I get in my car, if I don't have my seatbelt on in 2.5 seconds, I will hear about it. Dad, put your seatbelt on. And it's not because my kids are the, 
the safety police, it's because there is a momentum and a culture that has been set that you're going to be safe if you put your seatbelt on. And I believe today that God wants his people to be safe in the kingdom of God by completely surrendering their lives to him so that he can give them the victory that they deserve and that they need. Point number one, why God's ethos? Well, God is a father who has integrity and he has your best in mind and he will move heaven and earth for those who trust in him and obey him. Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. In Isaiah 55, verse eight through nine, it says this way, it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. God has a perspective from heaven that is far better than any of our perspectives combined. God can see our past, our present, and our future, and he knows how to get us to where we want to go and where we're called to go. The problem is, is whether or not we're surrendered. You see, in in, in the Bible, in in Judges chapter 6, Gideon had a situation, and his situation was, his father and their friends and the people before them didn't surrender to God. They surrendered their lives to these these, these gods, these gods of Asherah and Baal, fertility and success. That reminds you of today. We live in a highly, highly sexualized culture. We We live in a culture where success is not just expected, it's demanded. Nobody commands respect anymore. They demand respect. Well, that culture doesn't please God because that's not a surrendered heart. And God wants us to have a surrendered heart. He wants us to have a surrendered heart so that when we're surrendered to him, he can show people who he is through us. And I'm gonna tell you right now, it's it's far better to do it God's way than our way. Point number two, doing it your way will cost you. Doing it your way will cost you. In Judges chapter 6, verse 7, when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. He said, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who opposed you. I drove your enemies out and I gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord, your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live, but you have not listened to me. And so he pulled his hand back. They learned the hard way. The Bible says that at one point they were crying out to the Lord because they were in a position where they didn't know what to do, where they were going to get their next meal, because they took matters in their own hands. I hope I'm not the only one, but I remember, I still remember, and I still go through this at times, 
when I take matters in my own hands and I'm not submitted to God, man, that's rough. You learn the hard way. And God is challenging us today that in every area of our lives to keep our hearts surrendered to his will, to his character, to his ethics. Because when we do that, we win. And I don't know about you, I love football, but I love winning. But I'm not designed to supply the strength that I need to win. You're not designed to provide what you need to win. God himself has what you need to win. And when you're surrendered, you allow him to open up and give you what you need. That's all he's asking for is surrender. Point number two, or point number three, God gives free samples and not discounts. Isaiah 42, 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to anyone else, nor share my praise with carved idols. This hits home to me because I had a lifestyle that began when I grew up with my family. I love my parents very much. My dad's here in the room. Dad, I love you. Thank you for being here. My dad's an amazing guy. And my mom had a rough upbringing. At the age of 15, she lost her father. And her father was a great man of God who, in New York City in the early, mid-1940s, pastored a church of about 200 in Manhattan. And God called him to leave with my grandmother and to plant churches all over western New York. They ended up in Canada. And there are churches that are still there to this very day because of the obedience. But being pastor's kids, my, my mom and her brothers and sisters suffered a lot because they didn't have the tools that we have today. They didn't have kairos. They didn't have freedom sessions and kids' kairos and, and all that. They didn't have that. They, they learned the hard way. It was hard knocks for them. And so they were, they were at church every day. People were at their house every day. And all kinds of things, good and bad, happened as a result of living a lifestyle that was just, it wasn't, it wasn't healthy. That's, that's just the best way to put it. It wasn't healthy. Some stories I hear, man, people, people would come all hours of the day to their house to speak to my grandfather. No boundaries whatsoever. And people were hurt in that process because good and bad people came. And it was about the time my mother became a teenager when she began to have lots of dialogue with her dad and and she began to grow very fond of her dad because she got to spend some time with him. Well, it was because he was about 70 years old, and he was getting sick, and he had to retire from the ministry when my mom was a teenager. And so she remembers taking care of him. And at the age of 15, she lost her father. And my mom had to take that pressure of feeling like, like, God doesn't love me. If he did, why would he take my dad? If he did, why would he allow that to happen to me? 
Why would he allow the things that happened to us, that happened to us, why would he allow that? She went into this life of, of, of getting married and, and having a son and trying to live this life of responsibility with all these questions and with all this hurt and pain. My dad, on the other hand, had a lot of struggles growing up. He grew up in Puerto Rico, and, you know, I was there in the 90s, and it was still like a third-world country. I can't imagine what, what it was like in the 50s when my dad was growing up. It was hard knocks. It was tough. So my dad had his things that he was dealing with. And I thank God for the man that he is because at one point in my life when my dad was struggling with his life, he, I saw him get help. I saw him go to church and meet pastors during the day to get counseling. I saw him go to classes to get help so that he could become a better man for his son and for his, for his family. And I wanna challenge you today that if, if you're dealing with any struggle, don't be afraid to get help. Don't be afraid to get help. It's not a bad thing to get help. It's healthy. And after a while, it gets so good that you want to go every month. I go twice a month sometimes to go see my counselor. She's amazing. She helps me. There's times where I'm dealing with something, I'm like, I, are you available today? I need to talk to you. It's okay to get help. And so that was the culture that I was raised in. And at a young age, my parents split up and uh, my mom got into another relationship, and so I ended up uh, uh, living with my mom, but this relationship was abusive, and so we were in Austin, Texas. We moved all the way to Rochester, New York. The problem with that was we left my dad 1,500 miles here in, in Texas. So for 10 years of my life, I was growing up to be a man, and I needed the man that God called to help me grow up. And he couldn't be there. And I'm not mad at him. It was, a real, it was a really tough situation. But I began to do things. It became kind of my own little world. I created my own little bubble that nobody knew about. I began to do things that I'm not happy about. And I began to get into this bondage, but I was, a, I was living a double life. You see, I was going to church, and I realized that I had a gift. I realized that, that God had called me, but I was performing. I wasn't living a life of freedom. And so God was giving me opportunities to minister. He was giving me opportunities to serve, and I was growing in that sense, but I was being held back by this bondage that was in my life. It wasn't until 2013, Pastor Robert Morris was preaching a message called Free Indeed. And for six weeks, I was at South Lake Campus, and I came down to that altar each week. And one of those weeks, I made a decision to confess everything that I had done to a man named Pablo or Pedro or I don't know what his name is. He's still there. Still, great guy. Like, yeah, great guy. But I don't know his name. But I confessed everything to him. And something snapped like a pencil in my life. And I began to smell freedom. 
And all of a sudden, some opportunities started opening up. I began serving in children's ministry, which we had done previously, but we had taken some time off. And God gave me some opportunities. And one day I get a phone call from, from Tim Ross. And I'm like, why is he calling me? And he calls me. He says, hey, I want to meet with you. I want to talk to you about something. And we met, and we talked about Embassy City Church. And he said, we'd like to, to talk to you about becoming a children's minister for, for Embassy City Church. I said, oh, great, great. Little did I know that God was setting me up. You see, when I came on staff, we served in September. We started serving. Uh, we opened up the church. We started serving. And first weekend, we had 13, 12 or 1,300 people come through our doors, first service. We had over 150 kids come through our children's ministry in one day. It was a busy day. And there was a lot of pressure that came with that. And, you know, with pressure, things begin to bubble up and arise that you didn't know that was inside of you, and all of a sudden it comes out. And I started feeling like I needed help. And so we have this thing here called oversight. We meet with our oversight uh, once a week for an hour, and Tim was my oversight at the time. And after a while, you know, you stop talking about certain things. Like, after a while, like, hours a long time, okay? And so we're in there. And 20 minutes in, I don't know what it was, it was about 20 minutes in, and Tim and I start talking, and we end, and something came out. And I started talking about some stuff that I had been struggling with for many, many years. It's antithetical to the way I was raised because you didn't tell your pastor these things, let alone if he was your boss, because you could probably lose your job. Fear was in my corner and was constantly saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't tell him. And the Holy Spirit saying, tell him, tell him, yeah, get it out. Yeah, I want that right there, yeah, that right there, yeah, get it out, get it out. And after a while, I began to get free, and Tim encouraged me to get a life coach, and so I did. And we met for about five or six weeks, Al Pearson from Gateway, uh, he, he came on and he did an amazing job with me. What he would do is he would prompt me with questions. And, you know, I kind of thought I was all that in a bag of chips. Remember that phrase? Okay, never mind. Um, I thought I was all that. And he's asking me questions, and it was making me think, and I didn't have an answer, which was weird because that wasn't normal. I love to talk. I had nothing to say. But it made me think. And one day I went to Al, and I said, you know, Al, you know, I'm in ministry. I'm serving, and I want to grow, and I want to learn. But tell me about this discernment thing. I like, I need more discernment because there's a lot going on and I need help. And, and he said to me something that I will never, ever, ever forget. He said, Michael, he said, the key to discernment, the more discernment you want, the more you have to clean out your heart. Okay, I didn't want to hear that. Within a week, I realized something. I started getting help. And I started talking to Al and Tim. But I never confessed to my wife the things that I was doing over that period of time before I completely surrendered to the Lord. You see, my wife thought I was one person and I was completely somebody else. 
I was performing. And I probably deserved an Emmy. But the woman that I'm supposed to love and cherish and be faithful to, I was none of those things. It just so happens one Friday night, we put our kids to bed. We have uh, four kids, and we have a dog. She's our, one of our kids as well. She's a Boston Terrier. Her name's Annie. She's amazing. And we also have uh, a corgi. His name's Dak. I named him after Dak Prescott because I'm an overachiever. And my wife and I, put, we put the kids to bed. We put the, the dogs down. And my wife says to me, honey, is there anything that you haven't shared with me? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that thing. I heard the Holy Spirit say something to me at that moment. He said, Michael, I'm about to pull back the curtains of your life, and I'm going to show you where you really are. And I remember as if it was yesterday, I said to her, honey, I said, yeah, there's a lot that I need to share with you. And we, we both agreed to wait about a week. We did. The moment we had that initial conversation, again, that weight came off of me. And I began to feel even more freer. About a week later, we're getting ready for bed. It was on a Saturday night. We were getting ready to be at the high school at 5 o'clock in the morning to set up and tear down to have service. It was about midnight. And my wife says, hey, are you ready to have that conversation? No. And I began to share with my wife things that no man should ever have to tell his wife that he committed to for eternity, till death do his part. And that day I broke my wife's heart. I remember as if it was yesterday, she ran out the room went to the bathroom, she slammed the door, and I said, Lord, if there's ever a time, I need your help. It's right now. Your word says to call on your name and you shall be saved. Here I am. My wife came back in the room. She laid beside me. She loved on me. Made no sense. Next morning, woke up. We talked about it. Of course, she always has a way of telling a story differently because that's just how my brain works, right? I say it one way, she'll say it slightly different. But what it all boils down to was when she was in that bathroom that night, she was about to scream to the top of her lungs. And the Holy Spirit stopped her. And an immediate peace came over her. And he said, I want you to go in there and I want you to love on him. Because for 15 years, he's been carrying a weight on his own. He should have never been carrying in the first place. And this year, we just celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary. To God be the glory.
You say, why do you tell that story? Well, one, it's appropriate. Well, aren't you worried? Uh, no. I'm free. Satan ain't got nothing on me. No reason to worry about it. You know why also? I'm submitted to my senior pastor. You've heard Tim's story. And guess what? He's submitted to the apostolic elder of this house, Robert Morris. You've heard his story. And I believe that there's a day and age where God is saying, he wants you to be free. But he's raising up men and women that have been in places that were very dark. They had an encounter with him. They were broken to a point that their heart became completely and fully surrendered unto him. I don't know what you're going through today, but I know that God told me to to load this word into my delivery truck and to back the truck up to Embassy City Church. Beep, 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 beep. To put that pallet on the lift gate, boom. To lower the lift gate, boom. To jack the pallet up, to roll it, come into the center of this building to walk down this aisle to come up here to deliver this message. It's up to you to open it. I'm just a delivery guy. I just shared my experience, the road trip, a little bumpy. Truck broke down. Life was a mess. I surrendered to the great mechanic. He fixed my truck. He got me back, up and running. You know what I love about diesels? It takes a while for them to start. When they get started, they go a long time. But when you give your life over to God completely, God will come in and light you a fire. And you will go a long, long time. And you will win people for the kingdom. And no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And any enemy that comes in your way and speaks against you, you will be able to condemn him. Because the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave lives in you. It's not about me. It's not about my past. It's it's about me partnering with him. And when I did, everything changed. God wants to do that for you today. I didn't come to preach some glossy message that made your, the hairs on your head stand up. I came to tell you what God did for me so that you can experience him too in a way he can do the same for you. And I don't care what it is. Maybe it's something peddly. Maybe it's you, you honor your boss and you worship at the ground that he walks on. Maybe you're, you're so set on your job that you don't take time for yourself. You don't take time for God. You don't take time for your family. Well, that's a problem. God wants no idols before you and between you and him. So whatever it is, dish it out. Because God gives free samples, not discounts. You've got to do your part. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you would like to know more about Embassy City Church, please visit us at embassycity.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Embassy Irving.